Uh, John chapter 1, beginning verse 19. We're continuing this series called The Son of God. What, what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, understand who Jesus is. Uh, to understand who he is, the one that, that we follow, um, so that we don't follow him in half measures. So that we don't follow him partially. So that, so that we don't trust just part of what he says, but that we trust all of what he says. I read an article this week from uh, uh, one of the popular periodicals or weekly journal like Time or Washington Post. I can't remember which one it was, but um, it was an article by a guy who defends the resurrection of Jesus, who says he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and yet he makes the case that we don't have to worry about everything Jesus said because Jesus sometimes got it wrong. Uh, What is interesting is that uh, he was elevating the humanity of Jesus and he was ignoring the deity of Jesus. Uh, He was so focused on the humanity, the human part. Now, you remember last week we looked at this. In John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him and for Him. Colossians 1 says that all things were created by Jesus, and and everything holds together by Jesus. Jesus is God. But John 1, 14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have Jesus is God in verse 1, 2, and 3. In verse 14, Jesus became a man. Jesus set up camp. He shrunk his deity. He did not lose his deity. But he shrunk his deity in the tent, the the skin of humanity. He became fully human. And yet, fully God. And that changes the way we look at Jesus. He was not merely a good teacher. He is God. He isn't just a moralizer that sometimes gets it wrong. He is God who always gets it right. And we live in this world today this chaotic world and and we don't live we don't live hostile toward the world although the the world may be hostile toward believers we don't live hostile toward the world we love the world even as god so loved the world stop it's a couple of weeks from now but let's go ahead and get a crash course on this we must love the world the way god loves the world we have to love people Even the ones that despise us, even the ones that are hostile toward us, even the ones that call us all kinds of names, we need to love them even as God has loved them. To do any less is to take off the cloak, take off the the colors of being a follower of Christ. For Jesus said, the way the world's going to know that you're my follower is what? The fact that you hold to a certain position on same-sex marriage? The way the world's going to know that you're my followers is what? The way you voted in the last election? 
The way that the world is going to know that you're my followers is what? That you watch only Fox News? The way that the world is going to know that you're my followers is that you call Obama bad names? By the way, if you're in the practice of doing that, stop it now. Inappropriate for a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to agree with him, but you don't have to be a jerk. How's the world going to know that we're uh, his followers? How? By our love for one another. We've got to excel in love, especially when hostility is great. But that doesn't mean that we put our mind in neutral. We need to think and evaluate and understand who Jesus is so that when we're facing our friends at school who say, you say you're a follower of Jesus, does that mean that you believe this? And you say yes, and they say why, and you say because Jesus said it, and I trust him more than I trust you. But you've got to believe that. So that's kind of where we're going on this journey. We're trying to see why should we trust Jesus? Why should we follow him, even as followers of Jesus? Why should we take Jesus and all of his teaching, not just the portion that is culturally acceptable? Why should we trust Jesus? Okay. All right. So we're going to look at this and uh, we're going to begin in verse 19, go all the way to verse uh, chapter two, verse 12. And you say, that's a lot of distance to cover. We're going to try to cover it pretty quickly, but really what John is getting at, uh, John, the apostle who wrote this from 19 to two twelve, is saying, we follow Jesus because he reveals God's glory. Uh, we can trust him because he shows us who God is. Uh, We follow him because he makes God known to us. He brings us into one-to-one personal connection with the God of the universe. He reveals God's glory. Now, as John continues uh, this journey, this narrative of who Jesus is, we begin in verse 19. And in verse 19, um, we... Here the story continued. All right. Now, this is the testimony of John the Baptist. Verse 19 is talking about John the Baptist. Uh, When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. And they said, well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent from the Pharisees, uh, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees and they asked him saying, uh, well, then why do you baptize if you're not the Christ or Elijah or a prophet? And John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you, talking about Jesus, there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. All right, so let's stop there. 
Uh, We can trust Jesus because he reveals God's glory. Well, what did Jesus do to reveal God's glory? Well, John the Baptist was a pretty popular character during this time. He was preaching uh, really a hellfire and brimstone type preaching. He was saying that the axe is laid at the root and and the winnowing uh, place is about to happen. John the Baptist was saying judgment's coming. And he was calling all the religious people, especially, to get right with God. And and then when they would uh, say, I want to get right with God, he would baptize them in the Jordan River. Uh, But John said, I'm not the Messiah. He said, I'm not the one that you're looking for. I'm just his forerunner. I'm just just paving the way for his approach. In fact, he said of Jesus, there's one coming after me, and he's even among you right now. Apparently, Jesus was among the crowd at that point. He said, there's one coming uh, after me whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to unloose. This, this is the Messiah he was pointing to. In fact, everything that John the Baptist did was continually pointing to Jesus. Why? Well, when he sees Jesus and he makes his first utterance uh, about Jesus, uh, identifying him specifically, we understand why. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. So, so why should we follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Oh, why should we trust him above all others? Because Jesus is the one who overwhelms our sin with his sacrifice. Listen, um, I'm not going to belabor this point because I think I probably, probably belabor it every week. But here is the story. You have sinned against God. No matter what religious tradition you come from, no matter if you're atheist, agnostic, uh, or, or some other denomination, or even some other religious expression, whether it's Hindu or Muslim or, or, or Mormon or uh, any of the others, I, I, I got to tell you that you have sinned against God, and there's nothing you can do to fix that problem. You have sinned, and you can't make it right. You have sinned, and that cast you under the weight of condemnation and judgment. You have sinned and it has separated you from God and it keeps you from him. And, and that's your problem. That's my problem. That is my reality, even as it is your reality. And so when Jesus comes and John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's giving a revolutionary statement. He's saying, here comes the one who's a sacrifice So that that sacrifice removes sin, and that sacrifice that removes sin is huge, the world. That sacrifice that removes sin is not contained with just a Jewish expression that happens on a day of atonement once a year. But rather, it is a sacrifice for sin that is perpetual and eternal, piercing to the depths of our heart and soul. It is forgiveness that we need and long to find, and and that is why we should follow Jesus. And many of us are here today, and we say, well, I'm following him because I realize that at some point in time in my life that my sin separated me from God. And because my sin separated me from God, and I knew there was nothing I could do to make up for the sin I've already done, I knew that I needed Jesus who died in my place upon a cross to forgive my sin. 
And you would raise your hand and say, yes, that is who I am. I have been rescued by the Lamb of God who takes away the weight, the penalty, the condemnation of my sin. But friends, it is insufficient for us to declare that I followed Jesus for my rescue, but I do not follow him for the rest of my life. It is treasonous for us to look to Jesus to be our Savior and not trust him to be our Lord. It is incomplete for us to consider Jesus as a good man who forgives my sin, but not good enough or smart enough or sometimes who gets it wrong. I'm not going to follow him in the details of my life. But for those of us who have tasted his rescuing love, there burns within us a yearning and a desire and a passion to follow him. Why? Because he rescued me. He saved my life. And so I give him my life. We follow him because he loved me enough to die on a cross in my place. Jesus overwhelms our sin with his sacrifice. Well, as we read more about John the Baptist and, and as he's talking about Jesus, the second thing we, we learn about Jesus is Jesus reveals God's glory not only by overwhelming our sin with his own sacrificial death on a cross, but Jesus reveals God's glory when he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. Again, look down and beginning in verse 31, he said, I didn't know this Jesus, but that, uh, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And, and in verse 32, and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon Jesus. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I bear witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who comes to impart the Holy Spirit upon us. Again, I want to make it very clear. Only Jesus inaugurates this new age where the Spirit of God falls upon every follower of His. I want you to understand the way God operated and the way the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament. It was not this, this if, if you're an Israelite, then the Holy Spirit dwells within you. It didn't work like that. In the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on occasion to indwell a prophet to equip a king, to prepare a priest for the sacrifices that must be made or to declare teachings. The Spirit of God was occasional, just as powerful as ever, but occasional. And yet Jesus came to pour out God's Spirit upon all flesh. For all who receive Jesus, who follow him immediately, following their repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit of God. 
In John's, John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus said, you need to know it is to your advantage that I go away. For when I go away, I'm going to send you the comforter, the paraclete. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of God, and he will guide you into all truth. He will direct your steps. He will empower you for everyday living so that you can live uh, indwelt by the very presence, the personal, intimate presence of the living God. Today, we follow Jesus and we trust him because he has inaugurated this age that, that I receive the spirit of the living God, that, that I have become, through faith in Christ, I have now become the very dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, make no mistake, that's who you are, and it's all because of Jesus opening the door for you to have the intimacy of God's presence in your life. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but He is God, just as Jesus is God, just as God the Father is God. The Godhead is three in one, and that's a mystery, and I can't explain it, but I do know this, that God has determined that I should be the very dwelling place, the temple of the Spirit of God, and that's who I am, and if you're a follower of Jesus, that's who you are, but that's made possible through Christ's death and resurrection from the dead and exaltation to the right hand of the throne of God. It is the Spirit of God poured within us that excites the new birth, that, 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 that brings about this, this new life in us. It is the Spirit of God poured out upon us that purifies us and makes us uh, holy so that we can live holy lives, that pours into us spiritual giftedness, not just supernatural talent for our own benefit, but spiritual giftedness that we use so that God might be glorified and His mission advanced. It is the Spirit of God poured into us that, that excites the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Uh, these are qualities that we must have as followers of Jesus. Why? Because it's the mark of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth who navigates for us, who helps us decide and determine and turn, turn to the left as he leads and turn to the right as he leads. Help us navigate through the difficult straits of this life. It is the Spirit of God in us. And so the one who has given us this wondrous gift, Jesus, the Son of God, that's the one I'm going to trust. That's the one I'm going to follow. We, we should trust and follow Jesus because he reveals God's glory by empowering us with the Spirit. But also because he gives us hope for the future. As the story continues, and I don't have time to read all of it, but, but uh, if, you, if you begin in verse 35, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus uh, as he walked, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. So these two disciples heard Jesus speak, and they followed him. And they turned, seeing uh, and Jesus turned, seeing them following. They, he said, Well, what do you want? And they, they said to him, Rabbi, which is teacher, uh, where are you staying? And Jesus said, Come and see. And they came, and they saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. And it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And and, and Andrew first found Peter, his own brother, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. 
And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon. He said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So uh, Andrew spent time with Jesus. In that intimate encounter with Jesus, he, 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 he realized this is the Messiah. This is the one that he'd been hoping for. Do you know the Messiah? We, 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 we kind of use that as shorthand without really understanding. For, for that Jewish audience, for Andrew, he was filled with hopelessness looking at the swirling surroundings of his circumstances. He was captured in the conflict of chaos. He was looking at, at his circumstances, seeing only darkness and pain and struggle. And, and, yet, and yet, he heard John the Baptist say, hey, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, so Andrew immediately had his ears perked up and his heart began to stir toward Jesus. And, and he followed after Jesus. And he said, and, and Jesus saw him, and, and Jesus said, well, what do you want? And Andrew said, I want to I hang out with you. So he spent time with Jesus. And, and, and that, that changed him. He followed Jesus intimately in that encounter, and it changed him. It met the the expectations and the desire and the yearnings of his soul, so much so that he left that encounter with Jesus, went and found his brother first, and he said, hey, you need to come. This is the Messiah. The Messiah was the, the hero who would make all their dreams come true, that would give them a future. Filled with hope. We see uh, Jesus encountering Philip later, and, and, and Philip spent the time with Jesus, and, 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 and then he went and he found Nathaniel, and, and he said, You need to come meet this Jesus. This is the one that all the prophets and Moses and the Bible itself was talking about. You need to come. He is the Son of God, He's the Messiah. Philip encountered Jesus, began to follow him, and in that intimate encounter, his life was changed. His hopes were fulfilled in Jesus. Now, you and I are here today, and as followers of Christ, we have realized the yearning of our souls satisfied in Christ. He has rescued us. He has saved us. And that's a beautiful thing. But some of us are here today, and we're as miserable as any lost person around us. We're as hopeless as any lost person around us. We act as if Jesus isn't the Messiah any longer. We act as if he's no longer the hero who can give us a future filled with hope. Why is that? Can I simply suggest that as a follower of Jesus, the reason you're miserable could be the fact that you're not really following him? I, I'm I, just a little bit of little bit of candor here, okay? If I can just talk a little bit here, I, I'm a preacher. I know what it means to read my Bible every day. Kind of a vocational requirement. I read my Bible every day. You know, I pray every day during the day, throughout the day. Read my Bible. I pray. I know what it means to go to church every week. I even have my own life group that I meet with. Four or five guys that get together. So I have my own life. I mean, I have a life group I'm a part of. 
So I think I got it covered, right? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm praying all the time. I'm coming to church every week. In fact, there are very few times that you won't see me here. Um, and very, very few times you won't see me here. And, and I have my own Sunday school group or life group that, that I'm part of. Now, that's good. That's great. But do you know, I, I can do all those things and not follow Jesus. I can do all those things and it just be reading the Bible, reading, reading words on a page to come up with a talk. And I can pray and, and, and go through my, my routine of prayer and they just be words that hit the ceiling of my, of my room. And I can come here and I can give the talk and I can, I can act like I'm part of this family of faith, but really I'm not worshiping God. I'm not even looking for him. I can get with my small group and, and, and sit there and, and, and give them all this mask stuff that, that talks about, oh, yeah, I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm praying all the time and I'm going to church every week. Everything's hunky-dory. And I go to, go to bed at night and I lay my head on my pillow and I'm scared to death and I have no hope. Circumstances swirling out of control. I'm, I'm captured in the, in the chaos and the conflict of my everyday life, and I don't know what to do about it. And I, I'm going through all the motions, but the truth is I'm not having intimate encounters with Jesus. I'm not following, following him wholeheartedly. I'm just showing up at church and doing my thing. I'm just reading my Bible because it's on my checklist. I'm just praying because, after all, that's what preachers are supposed to do. I'm in my small group because, you know, trying to set a good example for others. I do all those things, and hope is gone. Could I suggest that many of you are here today, and you're just going through the motions? You're not really following. You know, just because you've showed up here doesn't mean that you're really exalting Christ, submitted to God. Seeking him first and foremost. That's what following Jesus means. Just because you read your Bible every day, you're reading it for a bunch of facts that you can put in a journal and act all smart, or you're reading, reading the Bible so that you can talk to your buddies about it, or you're reading your Bible to find an answer to a question that, that, uh, that you want that has nothing to do with real life and has everything to do with some spiritual religious mumbo-jumbo. Can I, can I please invite you to stop just going through the motions and open your heart to the living Son of God and follow Him? Trust Him enough to walk after Him wholeheartedly. The last thing we see in the text is it, it, beginning in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10. It's the wedding of Cana in Galilee. I'm going to say a couple of things about the wedding of Cana in Galilee. I don't know if you know the story. Here's, here's the way it goes. Jesus went to a wedding. His mom was there. She might have been the coordinator or something. Anyway, uh, the, the wine was running out. Um, and uh, G, uh, Mary was very concerned, so she turns to Jesus and, and said, can you help? And, and so uh, Jesus said, okay. And and the, Mary told the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so Jesus told them, fill up a bunch of pots with water, and, and they filled them up, and Jesus uh, turned that water into wine. And so much so that the 
people in the crowd said, you saved the best wine for last. Wow. Can I just say something that's very not Baptist? That wine was real, kicked, alcohol wine. It was not grape juice. It was not fake. It was wine. The reason we know it is because it was the best wine. The way the people measured what was good and what was not good was uh, not just the fragrance of it, but it was the kick it had. That's the best wine. So the very first miracle Jesus does is at a wedding. And the very first thing he does is transform water into real alcohol wine. You don't hear that much. In fact, I had a guy come up to me and said, for 25 years I've waited for a preacher to say that it was real wine. (laughs) This is the first time I've ever heard it. I'm not advocating drinking wine. I'm just telling you it takes a lot of baptistic interpretation to make that that grape juice. It's not. It's wine. It's real, real, you know, kick you in the teeth kind of wine. And it was really, really good, apparently. <laughs> but the wine is not part of the, not really the point, although it, it has become that in some circles. The point is that Jesus was approached with a very personal problem, and he met that personal problem with a miraculous solution. You want to know why we should follow Jesus and trust him? Do you want to know how Jesus reveals God's glory? It's that Jesus overcomes our difficulties with his power. I got to tell you, and it's going to sound a little Pentecostal, but we should learn a little bit about life from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. And Jesus is concerned about the details of your difficulties. You're finding yourself in the tension of circumstances that are painful and and a struggle, and you don't see any way out. I want you to know that Jesus is concerned about his followers in a very personal way. He's looking at your circumstance and your situation, and he's ready. Here's the part that sounds a little Pentecostal. He's ready to perform a miracle on your behalf. It might not look like a miracle, but it's going to be a miracle. Do you know that Jesus loves to to engage his power on behalf of the problems of his people? And so today, I want to invite you to follow Jesus and experience his power, the power that can turn water into wine. Allow it to transform your circumstances into something glorious to God. Well, those are some reasons why we should follow him. I want to I close with three application points, and these are three kind of so what's. If you're a Christ follower, how do you follow Jesus? Well, first of all, Christ followers are baptized. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist, here in, in, in John chapter 1, we don't see the baptism. Matthew chapter 4, we do. And baptism, you might say, well, I've already been baptized. And you're referring to a baptism that was done when you were a baby. Now, you understand, I I know you do, and and maybe some of our Baptist friends don't understand, but, but you understand that when you were baptized as a baby, 
your parents and your godparents, perhaps, stood on your behalf and made a decision on your behalf, brought you into a covenant of grace so that you are protected and secure, the sign of that protection and security of the decision that someone else made on your behalf, the sign of that was a baptism. And when you went on and grew up and came to a point of confirmation, your confirmation was you accepting that decision that someone who loved you made, you've accepted that decision as your very own. I think that's a pretty fair description of what infant baptism is all about. When I say baptism, though, I'm not talking about infant baptism. I'm not talking about a decision that someone made on your behalf. I'm talking about a declaration that you make for yourself. You see, Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, John the Baptist saying, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, Jesus said, no, John permitted to be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, this is something I need to do to be baptized. I need to do this out of obedience to God to declare that I am God's son. And then, after Christ was baptized, the dove came descending. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The picture of Christ's baptism opens the door for us as followers of Christ to make a willful choice to declare our allegiance to Jesus. And the biblical way to do that is not merely with a confirmation or an infant baptism. The biblical way to do that, as we see throughout the New Testament, is to declare our allegiance through believer's baptism. Something different than what happened to you as an infant. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized as a believer, I encourage you to follow Jesus and be baptized. At the end of each row, there are these cards. We're trying to make it as simple for you as possible. There are cards, and it has a line for your name, an email, or phone number, and a box that says, I want to be baptized. I'm going to encourage you to get those cards and pass them down the, down the aisle. Let's, somebody here needs to check that box. I want to be a follower of Jesus fully, wholeheartedly. Some of you are followers of Christ. You've been so for many years, but you have yet to follow him in believer's baptism for whatever reason. That needs to change. If that's who you are, check that box. Secondly, Christ's followers share him with others imprinted by the Spirit upon our soul is a yearning to share Jesus with others. This is what Andrew did. This is what, uh, when he went to find Peter, this is what Philip did when he went to find Nathaniel, and this is what you and I must do. You are never too old to share Jesus with others if you're a faithful follower of Jesus. You are never too young to share Jesus with others if you're a faithful follower of Christ. And you might say, well, I just don't know any lost people. Then start praying today that God would cross your path with someone that needs to know him. I mean, start praying now. Because you want to be a faithful follower of Christ. You want to share him with us. He's changed your life. How can you not want him to change someone else's life? Saying it a little bit harsher, stop being so selfish. 
and self-centered and self-focused and start thinking about other people. All for God's glory. The third thing I'd say is you've got to obey him. Some of us are waiting for a miracle in our life and it's not coming because we're not obeying him. We're not doing what he says. Remember, Mary told the servants, do what Jesus says. It's only as we do what Jesus says that we, that we put ourselves in a path to experience the miraculous in our life. Now, that does sound a little Pentecostal, but I'm telling you, that's truth. Some of us are wanting God to fix our marriage, but we're not willing to love our wives as Christ loved the church. What's wrong? It's not that God is not wanting to do the miracle. It's that you're not being obedient to do what God tells you to do. We want God to bless our finances and get us out of our debt hole, but, but, but we're not ready to return to God the portion that he asks us to give each week. And, and we wonder why it is we're lacking. It's not because God doesn't want to bless you. It's because we're not being faithful and obedient to Christ's commands. We want there to be joy in our fellowship, but we still continue to gossip and backbite one another. And we wonder why it is we're so miserable when we get in church. It's because you're not being obedient to God when you gather. You want a miracle? Start obeying. So what I want us to do, we're going to close like this. I want you to just sit and think and pray. And commit yourself to follow Jesus. Those cards that you're filling out, if you want to be baptized uh, at the beach baptism or before that, you check that box and you can even bring it to me or put it here on this altar. Put it in the offering boxes as you leave. Right now, will you just commit yourself to wholeheartedly Follow Jesus. And David comes and sings, I just want to ask you to bow your heads. Now, Father, hear our cry. Bring revival to our hearts and awakening to those who don't know you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.